0: Thanks for joining us here at Thrive Church. We're a church passionate about moving people towards Jesus. For more information, go to our website, www.thrivechurch.co.za. Morning, everybody. Happy to be here. Congratulations to all of you guys who got baptized this morning. Well done. Brilliant, brilliant job so awesome. Baptism Sunday is the best Sunday on the calendar. It most definitely is. And if you're a guest with us, welcome. If you're here to watch a family member or a friend, we're glad you're with us. We hope that you've been welcomed and that you've been made to feel welcome and uh, that you're here for a reason. God's got a word for you this morning. He wants to speak to each one of us individually. Hey? Can I ask us to stand quickly because we're going to pray about something. I think many of you may, may have heard the news about what went down at Edenvale High this last week. There was a, a shooting there where two of the suspects, two of the gang members lost their lives. Thankfully, no learners or, or um, teachers were hurt or injured. But uh, this this kind of stuff can unsettle us a little bit. Hey, it's the second um, incident in the Edenvale area in two weeks. And so I. Uh, a lot of people on our Edenvale campus are quite affected by this. It happens close to their home, and so we're one church in two locations, and so when one, one body is hurting, we, we press in and we pray. Hey, I want to encourage us to pray this morning. Um, the word of God tells us in Second Timothy 1 verse 7, that we don't have a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love and a sound mind. And when stuff like this happens, the church doesn't get fearful, the church gets prayerful. Are you with me? And we pray into the stuff. So come, let's pray together. Maybe you could stretch your hands and your hearts to heaven, and let's ask God for His touch. Father, we pray this morning as the church, we come together, we, we ask You, Father, would You fill each person affected and their families? Would You fill them with Your grace and Your peace, and would You comfort them at this time? And then, Father, we come against any evil. We come against this evil that would want to target schools. We come against that in the name of Jesus. Lord, we won't get fearful, we'll get prayerful. Lord, we come against that, we take authority over that evil in the name of Jesus. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in the spiritual realm. And so we take spiritual authority over that stuff now in the name of Jesus, and we ask you to stop it in its tracks, Father. We pray that no further evil like this would be proliferated, that it wouldn't continue, that there would be none of this going on. We pray, Father, for your hand of protection over our schools, our preschools, our primary schools, our high schools, our colleges, our universities, our churches, our places of civic interest, our community halls, these places where people gather, would you have a hedge of protection around them? Father, as we rebuild our country, Would would you stop this kind of stuff in its tracks? In Jesus' name, and everybody in 10 o'clock, said, Amen. Amen. amen, amen. Say hi to somebody quickly as you turn around and have your seat. We're in a series called What's in You? And when you hear a story about this Edenvale shooting, you know, the thought occurred to me straight away, the guys who did this once upon a time were kids. That's why Shine's literacy program is so important. Because if we can can put something in children, if we can put a self-belief, if we can put a healthy self-image, if we can put education into their lives, early on, it can change the course of their lives. They don't have to end up doing that kind of stuff. Educated kids are hopeful kids. And people with hope don't do this kind of stuff. Are you with me? I need some amens out there, church. And so it's, that's why Shine's Literacy Program is so important that we, we get an opportunity in grade two to put something different into these people. And so as we're in this series, this week is week two of what's in us. How many of you would agree? So we have, all of us, we have stuff in us that we don't like. Hey. Okay? We've got stuff in us that comes out every now and then. But this series is about teaching us what God says is in us. What the scripture tells us has been put in us. It's a series about our identity as followers of Jesus. You see, the moment you and I become a follower of Jesus... He deposits supernaturally through His Spirit. He deposits His life into us. The Spirit of God begins to live and breathe in our lives. He begins to work in our lives. The life of Christ begins to show through us, begins to work in us, begins to change the atmospheres and the environments in which we find ourselves. You can change the atmosphere of a room as a follower of Jesus just by walking into that room. This series is about teaching us to walk in that, to understand what it is that he's put in us, to not live in the stuff that was dead and buried, that when you got baptized, that stuff got buried, man. The moment Christ's life began to live in you, there's different stuff in you that needs to start to come out. And that's what the series is all about. Our text this morning is in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 20. Just before we go there, don't pop it up just yet. This is Paul the Apostle. Paul met Jesus. He didn't meet Jesus on earth. He met him in his not in his physical bodily form while he was walking the earth. He met Jesus in Jesus' resurrected form. Christ came to him when he was on a road to Damascus and revealed himself to him. And, and Paul was never the same, ever again. He went from being a person who hated the church to the primary church builder and greatest missionary the world has ever known. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Uh, his books are called the pastoral epistles or the letters to the churches he wrote these letters to the churches that he had started that's what an apostle is it's the sent one jesus sent him to take the message of christ to the gentiles he he, said, he began in asia minor and went all over the world and he would write his letters back to the churches that he loved that he started that he cared for and he would write back to these guys and and and, and sometimes give them a clap around the ears sometimes encourage them Sometimes they correct their theology, rebuke them, encourage them, strengthen them, etc. So he writes this book to the church in Ephesus. That's why it's called the Ephesians, book of Ephesians, chapter 3. I think this is one of the great chapters of all scripture. He writes in verse 14 So I kneel humbly in awe before the Father of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, the perfect Father of, our, of every father and child in heaven and on the earth. And I pray that now. Anytime you see words in, in, in a certain color, I want you to know that he's describing something that's in us, right? And it's the attribute that's in us. So he goes, I pray that he would unveil within you. So it's, this is in you. What's in you? The unlimited riches of his glory and favor. Are you with me? And supernatural strength floods your innermost being. What's, what's in your innermost being? Supernatural strength with His divine might and explosive power. Then, by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside of you. What's inside of you? The resting place of His love, the life of Christ. Are you tracking with me this morning, 10 o'clock? And it will become the very source and root of your life. Then you'll be empowered to discover what every holy one experiences the great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all its dimensions. How deeply intimate and far-reaching is His love. How enduring and inclusive it is. Endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding. This extravagant love, what's in you? It pours into you, His extravagant love, until you are filled with overflowing love with the fullness of God. Never doubt God's mighty power. What's in you? His mighty power. And to accomplish all of this, He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest expectations. He'll outdo them all for His miraculous power constantly energizes you I to encourage you to be responsive to this this morning and to take notes because you will retain more of this and we need more of this in us don't we Paul writes here and some commentators some scholars who studied this passage of scripture almost refer to this as his his prayer of le- uh, like a ladder like prayer it's a it's a it's a prayer that is ascending it's like a ladder he just keeps going higher and higher and higher with this prayer, he just he just keeps elevating his requests of God as he goes. There are five incredible things that Paul says are in you, Church, in this passage of Scripture. Number one, he says the resources of heaven are in you. Verse sixteen. I pray. Okay, look, he goes. He says, "He's like I pray, I pray." First, first rung of the ladder that He would unveil within you the unlimited riches. Of his glory and favour. In other words, that you would understand that the resources of heaven are in you. There's a great story in the Old Testament, which I'm going to draw a little bit of a parallel to this passage of Scripture to help you understand the point that I'm about to make. This passage of Scripture is found in the book of Second Kings. It's the story of the kings of Israel. In this particular chapter, chapter six, the king of Israel and the King of Aram are at war against each other. Elisha is a prophet in Israel at the time. He's on the side of the king of Israel. And Elisha keeps doing something incredibly frustrating to the king of Aram. He keeps telling the king of Israel what Aram's next move is going to be. He's got like early days FBI, CIA, Interpol, Intel, like because he's a prophet. God reveals the stuff to him. So they're at war. Elisha's on the side of the king of Israel, and he keeps telling him what the king of Aram's next move in the military sense is going to be we pick it up in verse eleven. Second kings chapter 6 verse 11 this enraged the king of Aram he summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me which one of us is on the side of the king of Israel who's the traitor right you know who's the man united supporter in Anfield like that kind of vibe None of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who's in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Is that not a freaky thought? Hey, it's a bit weird. Go find him, find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he's in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. Right, so now Elisha and his servant are in the city. These oaks have surrounded him. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, the army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, said the servant. What shall we do? Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are against, with them, sorry. And Elisha prayed. Here's the same prayer that Paul prayed. Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked And he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Elisha prays this prayer for his servant. Lord, open his eyes so he can see with spiritual eyes what he's got at his disposal. That the armies of heaven... Are at his back. Paul prays this for the church, the New Testament expression of the people of God. He says, I pray that you would see that the weight of heaven, that the power of heaven, that the armies of heaven are at your back, that the resources of God are at your back. You have heaven at your back, church. You don't fight alone. I'm going to circle back a little bit later and ask us how we can apply this. The first rung of the letter is that we've got the resources of heaven. Second prayer that Paul prays for this people that he says are in you. You know, Not only do you have the resources of heaven in you, you've got the strength of the Holy Spirit in you. You've got the strength of God's Spirit in you. In verse 16, he carries on. He says, I pray until supernatural strength. How many of you know that that's the Spirit's strength? That that's why it's supernatural. It's, it's, the, it's God's strength. It's His strength. And it would flood your innermost being with His divine might and explosive power. It's the Holy Spirit's job to come alongside us and to strengthen us, to strengthen our hands, to strengthen our hearts. So often, and we're speaking to somebody here this morning, so often we live in our own strength. And then we wonder why we're so exhausted by that. Paul says, I pray that you would know that his supernatural strength floods your life. Can you imagine that? Life gets hard, hey? Sometimes the race doesn't go according to plan. Stuff happens, stuff comes in on our lives and hamstrings get torn and Achilles tendons and diagnosis of illnesses come in and job losses happen and death of loved ones happen and you know, life sometimes gets tough, hey? I love that clip because the guy who came to help him was his father, actually. It's such a beautiful picture of what God does for us. He comes alongside of us. Doesn't run ahead of us. Doesn't push us from behind, you know. Comes alongside of us. Gives us the assurance that we can finish the race. You don't have to limp alone in this life. We have access not only to the resources of heaven, but the supernatural strength of His life. Can I ask you this morning, are you limping alone in your faith? That's why it's so important to be together. Every Sunday we get strengthened in our faith. Holy Spirit comes alongside us like that and and just keeps carrying us a bit. When the ladies get together on Friday nights, they get strengthened together. They come together, they realize uh, we're better together. Um, it's not good that I limp alone. You, there's other limping ladies. You know, men's meetings, like, folks pull in and everybody pretends like everything's lacquer. But the women pull in and go, I'm limping. Yeah. Can I have a friend? Yeah. <laughs> you with me? It's why life groups are so important. Small groups, where we have small group community. Where the, the, the rows that you see here on a Sunday turn into Circles. The back of somebody's head, as nice as it is, the front of their face is better. You don't have to limp alone. If you're not in a life group, you're missing out on a, the core essence of what it is to be a Christ follower and do life in community together. You can sign up today. If you, the life group cards are all over the foyer area, fill one out, pop it in the response box. Our team will help you. You don't have to limp alone. So Paul says, hey, you've got access to the armies of heaven. You have heaven at your back. He says, you don't have to limp alone, the supernatural strength of his spirit, spirit. Third thing that he prays for and that he says is in us is the resting place of Christ's love. He says in verse 17, then by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside of you. Stop for a moment and just take that sentence in that the life of Jesus gets released into you. And the resting place, the consequence of that is that the resting place of His love will become the very source and root of your life. When He uses the word source and root, He's trying to tell us that it's the thing that causes the growth in your life. It's the thing that nourishes your life. It's the thing upon which you build. It's the source and the root. This thing, the resting place of Christ's love, is the thing that gives your life life. And yet, isn't it strange how so many things nourish us in this life? Or we think they do, or we look to them to nourish us, hey? You know, uh, our image, our, our body, our beauty, our body if you're a guy, your beauty if you're a lady, our grades, our intellect, our, our hobbies, we can build our lives, we can look for our hobbies to nourish us and and, and help us, you know, our, our hobbies, our intellect, our dr- drugs. We, we think drugs will nourish our lives. We think alcohol will nourish our lives. We think our career will nourish our lives. We think money will nourish our lives. We look to many things, hey, to be the source and the root of our lives. And yet Paul says, as you go through life, the, you know, these things, that come, but, but the, the resting place of God's love, it's a resting place. Here's how you know if those other things are nourishing you inappropriately or unhealthily. How much of your self-esteem, your value, your identity, your oxygen do you get from those things? If you don't love them, do you still, if, that, if you don't have them, do you still feel loved? But the scripture says that his love is a resting place for us because we can come to it and rest. We can come to it and stop striving. We can come to it and stop trying. And there's no striving, no desperate trying, no begging, and no trying to make it happen. Why? Because he loves us as we are. There isn't a thing that you need to do or there isn't a person I need to become in order for God to love me, He just does. He loves me richly. He loves me uncontrollably. He loves me relentlessly. He loves me recklessly. He loves me unconditionally, utterly, irrationally, and completely. And He loves you in the same way. God's not waiting for you to become a better man or a more beautiful woman before he loves you. He's not waiting for you to become a more devoted follower of Jesus. He's not waiting for you to give up that bad habit. He just loves you as you are. He even loves you with your current hairstyle. He even loves Debbie in the shoes that you saw this morning? Did she put on those crazy things for you? He loves you no matter what music you listen to or what movies you love. Are you with me? Pastor Candace and I have had to transition um, two churches and take on leadership of two churches. This campus and the Edenwell campus in the space of like four or five years, if, if I had to wait to please people before I felt loved, our church would never go anywhere, and I 'd be a wreck, because this one likes the music like that, this one wants to sit here, that one wants to be closer to the aircon, that one wants to be at the this one that one likes torn jeans, this one likes neat jeans. I mean oh. For goodness sake. Church is not about our comfort. So I have to be secure in my chickenness, you know? I have to be, I have to be confident, you know? Somebody write me an email, I don't like what you wear. I don't care is sent. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, like you you just got to you know what I have to say to myself? At least you love me, Jesus. And I don't need to do anything. I don't have an image to uphold. I don't have a body to build, a career ladder to climb, or a person to please. I have to live for an audience of one. Are you with me? And that's what it means to have a resting place of His love. So He says, you've got access to the resources of heaven right you got access to the strength of his spirit he says you got access to the resting place of his love then Paul writes and he says hey and there's like this extravagant love that that Jesus has for you which is the fourth one the extravagance of God's love the extravagance of his love Paul writes and he says In the New International Version, he he prays that we would know how high and deep and wide and long is the love of God. Okay? How high, how deep, how wide, how long is his love? There was an interesting story about a man who was a prisoner for his faith in the Crusades. Um. Was, the Spanish Inquisition was happening. He was taken captive for his faith. And Napoleon's armies came in a little bit after the Spanish Inquisition ended in Spain. Napoleon's armies came in and they discovered this dungeon. It was deep underground. They, they discovered this dungeon. And as they discovered this dungeon, they saw a few things. They, they saw this, this, this chain, this metal chain bolted to a wall. And then they found the end of it and this. They saw that the end of this train was, was connected to what was left of this man it was just his ankle bone. They found a, a raw train bolted into a wall of a dungeon connected to an ankle bone. That was all that was left of this guy. All of that was left. And then they saw something interesting scraped and carved and etched into the wall of the dungeon where he was. He had drawn a cross. And above the cross it said height. Below the cross it said depth. On the left it said length. And on the other one it said width. He knew even in the midst of that how high and deep and wide and long is the love of God. He had experienced it for himself. Amazing to think that Paul prayed for Christ followers. And 1,800 something years later, a Christ follower in a jail cell would experience the very thing that Paul prayed for. That they would know how high and deep and wide. And long is the love of Christ. What's in you? The extravagance of his love. Broad enough to encompass all mankind. Long enough to last for eternity. Deep enough to pardon the darkest sin. High enough to exalt him to heaven. Another prisoner also penned this poem in a dungeon one day. Nobody's sure of his name or her name. He said, Could we with ink the oceans fill, and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. What's in you? the resources of heaven. That's what's in you. The resting place of his love, the extravagance of his love, the strength of his spirit. That's what's in you and in me. Lastly, Paul writes and he says in verse 20, never doubt God's mighty hand to work in you and to accomplish all All this. In other words, everything I've prayed up till now. Never doubt God's mighty hand to accomplish in you the strength of his spirit, the resources of heaven, the extravagance of his love, the resting place of his love. Never doubt his ability to work that in you. And he says, and he will achieve, watch the the wording. This is like exaggerated wording. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest expectation. Sorry, I- imagination. He'll outdo them all for his miraculous power constantly energizes you. He goes, uh, he can do what you ask. He can do more than you ask. And he can do infinitely more than what you ask. Now, I look at that and I think to myself, was Paul just having a good day when he wrote that? You know what I mean? Was Paul on, did Paul take some substance that made him just feel great that day? Like why, was he exaggerating? Or was there something to what he was saying here? You see, Paul is not praying for God to do something for you. He's praying for God to do something in me. Are you with me? And therefore, if we're going to be with him for eternity, God definitely has infinite time in which to accomplish the infinitely more that he says he's going to do. He's more than capable of of doing all that he needs to do in your life because he's got all the time in the universe to do it. Are you with me? Let me give you five application questions this morning that'll help you realize how this applies to your life on Monday. Five application questions. Number one, when it comes to the resources of heaven, let me ask you the question, church, hey, what could be today What could happen in your life? What could be if you saw with eyes that could see today that you have the resources of heaven at your back? What endeavor would you pursue? What chance would you take? What new thing would you start? What change would you effect? What boldness and bravery could it unlock in your life? What battle would you fight because you're up for it? If you realized you had heaven at your back, if you realized the armies of heaven were right behind you, if you realized you had the access to the resources of heaven, what, what would you be up for that up till now you're not? Come on, what vision could God unlock in your life if you could see bigger, if you could realize what's behind you? We think so small. We think so isolated. We think so siloed. We think so limited. We think so human. We think so st- so much lower than what God would have us think. Come on, let me ask you, what could be in your life? What new business do you need to start? What, what new thing do you need to tackle? What change do you need to effect in your life? What, what thing is it that God's asking you to get going on? What battle do you need to fight? That you, Come on, what addiction do you need to tackle? What could be? What could be in your life? I need some amends out there. Second question, when it comes to the strength of His Spirit, can I ask you this? Are you limping alone, unnecessarily alone? Why don't you ask Him to fill you with His Spirit? Even now, even now, where we are, just shoot a prayer to heaven. God, Holy Spirit, would you fill me with your strength right now? And then make a decision to not limp alone. Make a decision to get into a small group. Make a decision to get into a serving team where, where everybody's doing life together. Take, take a step and do something with the word which has been preached to you. Take something and do something with the deposit which is being put into you. Make a decision not to do life alone. Make a decision to be together with the ladies on Friday night. Make a decision to get into a serving team, a life group. Make a decision to do life together with somebody. Some of us, we live like islands, you know, and when, when floodwaters come, you know what happens to an island? It, go, it submerges, it gets underwater. Are you with me this morning? Yes. Are you receiving something? Yes. Question number three, when it comes to the resting place of Christ's love, what makes you feel important and loved and validated? Is it your body? Is it your beauty? Is it your career? Your status? Your looks? Your achievements? Your money? Your ministry? What is it? Here's the thing, guys. If that, if that involves a striving if that involves a trying, if that involves a desperate attempt to always try harder, then you know that it's the wrong thing. Can you imagine for a moment, maybe just, even if I could ask you just to close your eyes just for a second or two, could you imagine just for a moment that God doesn't need you to do one more thing or improve one more aspect of your life He doesn't need you to try any harder or become any different he just needs for you to rest in the fact that god in heaven loves us so completely unconditionally it's scandalous actually it's ridiculous it's crazy it's reckless of god in that moment for you to just know and hear from him that you are enough exactly as you are. You're enough. You're enough. You're enough as a mom, you're enough as a husband, you're enough as a wife, you're enough as a father. You're enough as a daughter, as a friend. You're enough as a boss. just are enough fourth question is related to that around the extravagance of God's love you can look up at me thanks everybody imagine that we would stop trying to grasp his love and understand it and simply set our hearts on experiencing it I don't know about you but I like to try and understand things And what I don't understand, I don't enter into. What I don't understand, I stay away from. What I don't understand, I don't push into. What I don't understand, I get afraid of. And sometimes, because we don't understand God's love, we leave it on the side. We put it on the shelf and say, I'll I'll grab it when I need it, (laughs) you know? But He loves us so extravagantly. Imagine for a moment, make a decision this morning, to stop trying to grasp it and rather set your heart on experiencing it, you can't live your life from your head and live your life from your heart. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Heart is the wellspring of life; from it flow the issues of life. Lastly, the power of God's hand. I want to ask you to flip your prayers on the head. Can I ask you to pray for God to do something in us, then through us, and then for us? Because we get the order wrong. Hey, we go, God, would you do something for me? Oh yeah, and it'll be cool if you could do something in me. And yeah, that will be rad if I could do something through me. You know, that will be cool. But imagine for a moment you pray differently. God, would you do something in me? Work in me, and then work through me, and then do something for me. It's a fundamentally selfless way of living. God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in this body, in this temple, in this place. Do something in me first, then do something through me. And then God, I know you'll do something for me. This message was recorded live at Thrive Church. We hope that it inspired you to move towards Jesus.